0: It's time for our partnership with the Star Tribune and their editorial board in particular. Chad Hartman here, CCO. John Rash and DJ Tice from the Trib are with us. Gentlemen, we just talked about that uh, Governor Walls in the last five minutes or so has said he's going to keep rolling with the business community, opening up more businesses. Uh, Channel 5's Tom Hauser believes that announcement will be tomorrow. So do I. DJ, I'm going to start with you. You know, How far do you think Governor Walls needs to go tomorrow in opening up more of the businesses? Where do you think we're headed even in the next twenty four hours? Well,
1: I, you know I think that he's kind of given us the concept that he wants to work with in this with this idea of turning the dial. So I, I, I think the smart money would anticipate you know some kind of incremental adjustment. But no doubt it's going to involve those businesses that can uh, can best achieve social distancing, you know, where there isn't too much uh, close at hand uh, uh, work among the employees or interaction with the the consumers where distance can be kept. Uh, I think this shopping by appointment is probably something that's going to get a lot of uh, encouragement and other ways of adapting that. So I think it's really going to vary from. Business to business, and what kind of plans individual uh, businesses can provide, uh, you know, to uh, convince regulators that they have a plan that uh, maintains reasonable safety.
0: John, this is a week when uh, one, potentially up to one hundred thousand employees had a chance to go back to work. The, those businesses were not did, did not involve face to face interaction. Are there certain businesses you will be especially curious about regarding the governor's announcement tomorrow if he does or or when he does open up more businesses? We just don't know to what length and what level at this point.
2: Well, I concur with D.J. in terms of the governor's stated desire to look at the dial, hopefully turn it in the right direction, but be ready to turn it in the opposite direction if it's clear that he or the state is moving too fast here. And so I think that the size and scope of the businesses is what will most interest me in terms of what he is going to announce probably tomorrow, meaning I think major malls are unlikely to open or places where people can gather in a significant number, but more, as DJ mentioned, appointment shopping or the ability for small businesses to open but to be able to significantly restrict the number of people who come into the store. And many of us, of course, have gotten used to this. Those who have shopped at certain grocery stores realize that at times you need to wait outside, six feet apart, socially distant. Masks are now going to be required in most grocery stores. And so I think that we're moving more towards a system like that without being able to gather and be together in big numbers. And it's helpful that it's springtime, the forecast that you just mentioned, will give people a little bit of peace of mind uh-huh. because the degree that they have to be out on the sidewalk waiting to go into a grocery store as just one example is a whole lot easier to do in this time of year than it would be in January or February. So I think that slowly but surely we're moving in that direction.
1: I was just going to say, I think the, um, a class of business that is it's particularly tricky um, but it's really kind of particularly critical as well. Is really the personal service, uh, you know, the barber shops, the the, the hairstylists, uh, all these kinds of things, uh, you know, where people re- really need uh, those kinds of services. Those and many more. And and you know, those folks get in trouble in a hurry if they can't do any business. The other piece you wonder about is some of the non-COVID healthcare issues.
0: Yes, uh, Like
1: elective surgeries, you know, we've got people who have been waiting for surgeries that are not emergency, but may be very important for them to, to have done, uh, you know, before too much more time goes by. And it seems like we're going to need to move some of that, get some of that moving, or that backlog will, you know, just become really to the point of endangering people's uh, health and people's lives
0: i will uh john for me i'll be stunned if that's that is not a part of the announcement tomorrow let's let's get to what's taking place right while we're talking right now we're governor walls and congressman hagedorn and congressman peterson are in worthington and we're having all the conversations about the meat processing plants in our state near our state and and the concern for the employees the president steps in with the act yesterday trying to uh provide the businesses with liabilities but john here's the point are they going to get employees to show up right it's one thing to protect these businesses but you still need to convince the workers who are seeing other individuals who have tested positive at this particular plant or other comparable plants to say i'm going back and and that's the interesting line that these three prominent politicians are trying to play right now as we're speaking
2: and I think it's particularly important that the employees are listened to, and yes, there needs to be perhaps some protection for the employers, but there also needs to be protection in a literal sense for the employees in terms of making sure that they are not, you know, putting their lives in danger to keep meat on America's tables, and also protection if those especially those who either individually or in their family have underlying health conditions that would make COVID-19 particularly perilous, that they're not persecuted or prosecuted by their companies if they can't or won't show up for work here. So I think with all of these decisions, it's really imperative to think of the people involved to do everything that you can within reason Mm -hmm. to ensure their safety, and then proceed carefully and accordingly, and I certainly hope that there isn't too much of a push or too much of a movement to keep these plants open, to get the people back in, and in effect, put them in a position where they have to decide between their lives and their livelihood, literally or figuratively, and and you know treat them unfairly from that
0: perspective. Doug, a lot of this really picked up over the weekend when, when Tyson Company and The Times and The Washington Post talked about what was going on, and they, they talked about basically the, the food ecosystem and, and yep. worrying about where it was headed. And you can't fault the president, you can't fault the governor for reacting to that. And when also Tyson said, you know, we're thinking about, you know, employing maybe 20% of uh, our facilities open. This is one that is going to be a huge story throughout the country and a huge story in our state. And to think we're going to have resolution on this in the next couple of days and we can just move past this one. I think that's pretty naive myself.
1: Well, I, I think it is, too. Uh, in a larger sense, you know, we really are relying on uh, the herd immunity on the one hand, uh, you know, to slow the spread of this thing. And then ultimately, we hope Uh, you know, therapeutics and and down the road somewhere a vaccine. And really, I I think some of these things are not going to be resolved until uh, some and and ultimately all of that comes to pass. And this is one of them. You know, years ago, I took a very extensive tour of uh, the big uh, then slaughterhouse and packing plant down in Austin. I've had, uh, you know, a bit of uh, traumatic stress disorder ever since (laughs) Those places are, sure. you know, they are intense facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, very tough, tough jobs, and it is very easy to see how difficult uh, it would be to contain this kind of a, a contagion in that setting. Uh, you know, very crowded, uh, and, uh, and it, as it is, they're hazardous jobs because, after all, there's lots of lots of sharp instruments and uh, and lots of potential. Uh, contamination in the uh,
0: in the place. Let's pause right here. Let's come back among our topics: the present vice president controversy with him, and the former vice president and a controversy with him, Pence and Biden on the docket. When we come back, Tuesday afternoon, Mike Pence travels to Rochester, Minnesota, as the vice president. He wants to take a look at what is uh, what is working at the Mayo Clinic. This partnership that Governor Walls is orchestrating with the Mayo and the U of M. And he shows up at this uh, world-renowned clinic that we're so lucky to have in our state. He is told, his, uh, his associates are told, that the policy is for anyone entering the Mayo Clinic, you need to wear a mask. Vice President is the head of the uh, task force for the federal government. And the Vice President and his team or in particular, the vice president says, I'm not going to wear a mask. Later on in explaining this, he says, I'm tested on a regular basis, and I also wanted to be able to look these folks right in the eye. Well, again, that one's bizarre because I don't think anybody was suggesting, DJ, the mask was over the eyes. Um, I talked about it a lot yesterday. I haven't talked about it at all today, but I am because this is playing politics. If you're Mike Pence and you're so sick of these minor What what you think and what the White House thinks are minor controversies that the White House is that the media is picking up on and just getting caught up in the weeds. Why in the hell don't you just put on a mask? Why even allow this to become a story?
1: Well, it's such a hard question to answer that I, I have to assume it was a considered choice. Uh, knowing full well that it would in effect you know mask the rest of the story and become the story, which yeah. he's done, whatever the rest of his message was, uh, nobody's talked about it. Uh, nobody heard it. Uh, and I gotta believe that's a choice. you know there's a there's a kind of emblem insignia here, and somehow putting on the mask from their point of view, sends a message uh, they don't want to send. Um, I, I think it's regrettable uh, because I think the rest of the message, uh, you know, was, uh, was important and that it's important simply to, uh, to convey the, the sense of respect, uh, you know, for, for your own recommendations, <laughs> you know, you're what your own experts are saying, as well as for the institution that, uh, uh, that you're visiting and, just, a, you know, that, that, that sense of uh, cooperation uh, in, the, in the community as a whole, but it's just not their style, uh, and I've got to believe that's the explanation. It's not their style.
0: John, when, when I spent a lot of time talking about it yesterday, there was a split, obviously, and, and there's going to be. Also, a lot of people said, what about the Mayo Clinic? drawing the line at the vice president, saying, I don't care if you're Mike Pence or Donald Trump or or John Rash, here is the policy you need to wear a mask. And I said yesterday, I want you to chime in, that that sounds good. And I hope they apply that to everybody. And and I hope they encourage the vice president. But it's still very difficult under those circumstances. When the vice president is flown from D.C., national press has flown there with them, And you're going to say to the vice president, you're not allowed in the clinic itself.
2: It is very difficult, and especially on the spot and on the moment. I and the editorial board in an editorial that's posted at thestartribune.com right now wish that the Mayo Clinic would have indeed upheld their policy. I'm not sure with the specific individuals involved how soon they knew or how apparent it was that he wasn't going to wear a mask at that point, but I wish they would have upheld it. But. More than anything, I wish that the vice president had not put the Mayo Clinic in this kind of a position. And when you look at it, it's emblematic of the administration's approach to the pandemic itself. It was anti-science, antithetical to a respected institution that's trying to save lives and save the economy by getting the country healthy again and advancing testing in that respect, and very much anti what the administration was trying to accomplish in terms of looking involved, looking concerned, and looking beyond the beltway to Rochester, Minnesota, you know, to an institution like the Mayo Clinic. Instead, as D.J. well described, this has become the story. And I also have to think that the fact that President Trump has decidedly said, I'm not going to wear a mask, no one around him will ever challenge him. If there's anything about this administration that I think historians and those who chronicle it will look at and dig into was his elimination of any kind of dissenting voice, and the fear that he has struck in those around him, the people within the administration, his family, and others, that no one will you know say anything to him, and clearly the vice president never does anything that's counterintuitive to the president, doesn't seem to have a single independent thought. In terms of how he goes about his incredibly important job from that perspective, Joe Biden clearly had some different thoughts than Barack Obama, sometimes got ahead of him um, on the issue of same sex marriage, as just one example. And, you know, that created a little bit of discord, but the vice president at that time clearly, you know, was thinking of his, his own thoughts and his own policies and had at least the ability to act independently. Vice President Pence didn't show that in a real disappointment. For the administration, overshadowing what should have been a really productive event.
0: Doug, I'm going to start with you. Um, why isn't Joe Biden answering any questions about Tara Reid and how much criticism should he get?
1: Well, I think uh, the Me Too movement uh, and indeed the uh, uh, you know the, the uh, Democratic the um, party uh, is challenged here to uh, you know show that it has principles where these kinds of uh, allegations are concerned uh, it's a very difficult situation as many of these have been with a, an allegation that it seems very hard to know uh, how much uh, credence to give it there just isn't a lot of evidence uh, to go on uh, but they can't just wait for it to go away I Fear that it won't uh, go away. Fear for them, uh, and he shouldn't. Um, he should answer questions, uh, and answer all the questions that uh, that there are going to be. And I, I think that his supporters, uh, far and wide, uh, need to expect that and uh, be among those asking the questions.
0: John, I about a minute left. Same thing to you. Uh, what's fair? Because I I I think the criticism should be loud including from his supporters, say, Joe, we want to believe in you, but you need to answer questions.
2: He does need to answer questions. President Trump had to answer questions uncomfortably, I'm sure, for him in a debate when many women came forward. And, of course, when the Access Hollywood tape nearly exploded the entire campaign. And I think that for Vice President Biden, he doesn't want to wait for a presidential debate to deal with this. He's going to need to talk about it. He has, in previous times, either directly or indirectly, denied the allegation that is out there, but he's now the de facto presumptive nominee here, so he's going to have to answer directly to these allegations, and this could still remain a significant issue in the campaign.
0: Gentlemen, thanks so much. Stay healthy. We'll talk soon.
2: You too. Thank you, Chad. bye
0: John Rash, DJ Tice, Star Tribune editorial board, this collaboration with WCCA Radio.